Good morning, everybody. As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence, humility, and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. This is the one whom I look upon with favor, declares the Lord. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15 in the Blue Pew Bible. It can be found on page 1016. Again, that the text is Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15, found on page 1016 in the Blue Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thank you, Ron. Let's, uh, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I um, struggle to understand the Apostle Paul. This letter to the Colossians is uh, action-packed. There's so much going on in there, and especially there's so many terms and concepts that are just frankly foreign to our, our, you know, to our, our um, vocabulary today, to the world that we live in. And I just want to take a few minutes to just enumerate a few of those key concepts before explaining the passage. I'm going to try to be as brief as I can this morning. The first thing I want you to look at, look at verses 9 and 10. Again, if you have your pew Bible, as Ron just, uh, just read for us, if you look at verses 9 and 10 of Colossians chapter 2, you'll see something, you'll see the words fullness or filled Fullness are filled. Again, look in verses 9 and 10. We read this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then in verse 11, in him you, I'm sorry, verse 10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. This concept of fullness or being filled is, is actually a fairly simple one. It, it, we understand if you've ever been in the presence of like an important figure, uh, perhaps you've had like a, a governor or, or uh, maybe a, a, some sort of a Hollywood actor, actress, you know, suddenly, unexpectedly in your presence. And they walk into the room and the whole room is in a sense filled with 
their, um, their sort of their status, their presence. In fact, Ron here, Ron's got, you got a clip. There's this a clip of, of this, is, um, this is just a random clip that I found. Don't take this, it's not a political statement, be kind, but it's a, it's a statement of, of, uh, of, of Barack Obama walking into, uh, unexpectedly into a, a room just to take a look and see how people respond to him. And he sort of literally, he fills the room, if you will. Go ahead and hit that, Ron. Great status fill or comes into room, they they fill it, and that's this idea of what's happening here. Is this idea of of filling in the sense that when Obama and President Obama walked into the room, he he took he said in a sense he takes up the room, he fills the room, and therefore he takes over the room. Does that make sense? Every all eyes are focused on him. Everyone's thinking, acting in relation to him, and this idea of this 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 terminology, this language here of fullness. And like in verses ten, nine and ten, it says how in how God in Christ the fullness of deity dwells. That in a sense that God the Father, in a, in a way that I can't fully explain, um, fills Jesus in bodily form with the totality of His deity, the totality of His power. And then we in turn, our verse ten, it says, "And in Christ you have been brought to fullness." That is to say that in that as those united to Christ. We are of his, his, he takes us over. He overcomes us and we now belong to him. So the first concept is fullness. The second concept is, is it even awkward, even almost silly, or sort of creates a, a smirk on our face, is the concept of circumcision. We see it in both verses 11 and verses 13. Verse 11 says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by the human hands. Um, but verse 13 um, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, what in the world is this idea of, of circumcision? Well, in the ancient world, and especially for the Jews, circumcision basically was a way of communicating. It, it took the, the male organ of life, of, of that which produces life, and said basically, you know what? Apart from ourselves, by ourselves, we cannot produce true life. All we can do instead is actually hurt others. That left to myself, so in other words, the symbol of life, of actual progeny, becomes a symbol of my ability to bring life and blessing to other people. And it's apart from this rite of circumcision, it was thought, that God is in a, symbolizing the circumcision, that God has to come into our lives and remove that which would make us hurt others so that we can learn to help others others. It's this, it's this very beautiful principle, very controversial principle in a lot of ways, that says that left to ourselves, apart from divine intervention, all we will do is hurt other people. It's pretty sober, isn't it? It's pretty realistic. In fact, this, uh, in fact just, just months before he, he passed, Johnny Cash stole this song from Nine Inch Nails. And uh, in fact, this is one of the most well-known, uh, celebrated video, uh, music videos of all time. Um, and I just want you to hear the actual refrain uh, of the actual chorus of the, of the song. Go ahead and play that, Ron, for me.
I become? Right, what, a, what a sober, how many of you ever looked in the mirror and said, wow, what have I become? How did this happen? What have I become, my sweetest friend, my sweetest friend, everyone I know goes away in the end. What a statement, right? The sense of like, all I do is everyone eventually leaves me because I, they don't want to be around me. They can't stand to be around me. And he says in this iron standards of irony, and you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. The sense of just realizing that all, at the end of the day, all, all, the, all that he does, all that we do often is just hurt other people. Apart from divine intervention, apart from the removal of that which, is, of that which mysteriously makes us hurt other people, we, we, we will, that's what we'll continue to do. And it's this idea of circumcision, this idea that I cannot give life, I cannot produce life. And of course, it's, it's, it's given originally to Abraham. Because Abraham and Sarai were what? They were barren, if you know the story of Genesis. They were barren and couldn't have children. And so God promises, though, he promises them uh, children as numerous as stars in the sky. And of course, the whole point being it is only through God's intervention, through his power, that anything remotely approaching life and blessing and goodness is going to come from Abraham and Sarah. And so this principle of circumcision, which is then brought into the New Testament as baptism, which we just celebrated, is this idea of cleansing, of the removal of that which is filthy, the removal of that which is gross, and the restoration of that which actually gives life to enable goodness, to enable a blessing of others. So that's the first idea is fullness. The second idea is circumcision. And the, the third idea I want to communicate is the idea of our union with Christ. All throughout this text, in fact, if you look with me, again, it's on page 1016, all throughout this text, you see the phrase, in Christ, or in him. So, for example, in verse 6, it says, so, so then, just as you receive Christ, Jesus, as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. See that? And then later on, verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Verse 10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Right? And you can, all, throughout, all throughout this you have this, this, this sense of in Christ or being united with Christ. Well, what in the world is that, is that about? Well, let me explain this idea of union with Christ to you. So last night, uh, my family and I, or actually the, the Sarah and I and the two older, uh, two older daughters, uh, the twins, last night we started watching a sports documentary. In fact, it's this acclaimed uh, uh, sports docu- documentary called The Last Dance. And it follows the, the Chicago Bulls, and I think their sixth and final uh, championship season, what would that have been, like 97, 98, right around there. And of course, the towering figure throughout the whole 
uh, at least the whole, we just started watching the whole first episode, is the, is the figure of Michael Jordan. And I want you to imagine for a second, and one of the things is we're watching all this footage, it was always interesting to see where the cameras focused on Jordan. And of course, in the backgrounds is, is, are the guys on the bench. Right? And you think about what it would be like to, be, to sit out most of the game playing for the Chicago Bulls. I mean, here you are, probably one of the, in the most incredible players ever, and you're, you're getting very little play time because you have Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and, and uh, Dennis Rodman out there uh, just playing for you. And there were these numerous, throughout the, throughout the uh, documentary, there were these incredible sort of last-minute shots that Jordan would make. So about three seconds left on the clock, they would give the ball to Jordan. He, he somehow miraculously makes the shot, and they win, and everyone just freaks out. And the bench just is emptied, and everyone just spills into the court. And it's this moment of recognizing that here are these guys on the bench, and they're jumping up and down. We won, we won, we won. And you realize, you know, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. You were just sitting there on the bench. And yet they participate, don't they? They did win. And why did they win? Because they're on the team. There's this relationship, there's this union between the star player, the champion, and the rest of the team. That whatever, however, if, if he wins, they win as well. This notion of union with Christ is the idea that if we are on Jesus' team, if we have bowed our knee to him, if we are on his side, that we share in what he has won. Okay, does that make sense? So again, although they didn't, although they didn't actually do anything, they didn't contribute to the victory, they share in that victory. And why is that? Because they have a special relationship, a bond with Michael Jordan. They are united to the one who's won. Okay? And I just want to take a few minutes here and walk through this passage with that idea in mind. Look at verse 6. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, understand, just as, as Linda read earlier, the earliest Christian creed was three words Jesus is Lord. And what they meant by that was not that he was their personal master, or like, I, I follow him, oh, that was true. They truly believed that Jesus, having raised from the dead, was Lord over all the powers of darkness. That he was the one who had overcome death, who was the one who'd overcome evil, and the evil one, that it was a matter of time before he got his way. That no longer would these forces have their own way. They didn't need to fear them anymore. He was Lord. He was the champion. He was the victor. And he's saying, Paul is saying here, just as you received him as Lord, just as you bowed your knee and said, you know what? He actually is Lord. He has conquered all the forces of darkness. I don't need to be afraid anymore. I don't need to be afraid of dying. I don't need to be afraid of disobedience. I don't need to be afraid of someone doing something wrong to me. I am safe and I, my destiny is shared with him. Just as you receive him as Lord, continue to live your lives, continue to walk as those who are grounded or rooted, built up in him, strengthened the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And so he says, just as, as the one who, who's one, Jesus, the one who's one, he says, now walk, walk as those grounded in him. That's the first point. The second point is, as those who are guided by him. Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, verse, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceitful philosophy, 
which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Paul says, look, and now that you've bowed your knee to him, enable him to be your guide throughout life rather than being guided by our culture. In fact, we think of Jesus' words in Matthew 7 where he says, wide is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many follow on it. But narrow is, the, narrow is the door, narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus, Paul is saying here that as you've accepted Christ as Lord, let him be your, 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 your guide. That is to say, let him be the, the team captain and take your, 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 take your cue from him and follow what the team is doing. Um, then he, so he says, basically he says, as, as one who's Lord, as one who's the, the, the team, you know, he's one, he says, be grounded in him, be, let him be your guide. And he says, why is that? Because, look at, look at the, next, the next verses here, verse 9, because Jesus is God with us. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What a statement. He's basically saying, look, in the person of Jesus, God's authority God's wisdom, God's power is there in the flesh. As I've said when I used to teach a youth group, I would describe, I'd say Jesus is God in a bod, right? He is actually the one who has all authority and power, and he's there in the person of Jesus. And so we don't need to follow the ways of the world. We don't need to follow um, uh, whatever Oprah says or whatever Dr. Phil says. We follow what Jesus says because he is from the Father. As the captain of the team, he knows the coach. So again, this very, very, this very, very uh, excuse me, this very basic principle of union with Christ is fundamental to the Christian life. It's basically this idea that, and I'll, I'll close with this: that the, the origin of the idea comes from the Old Testament, and it, it comes from the story, in a sense, from it's, or at least it's illustrated in the story of David and Goliath. Those of, those of you kids, you may know the story of David and Goliath. It's a story where David, on representing the people of God of Israel, um, and then Goliath, who's representing the Philistine forces, they come out, and they are both of them are representatives. That is to say, whoever wins in this one-on-one battle, the armies, uh, the, the armies that are associated with them, they share in that fate. So, if Goliath wins, that means that Goliath's army wins. If David wins, that means that David's army wins. And so this idea of representation, this idea of union, is rooted in this Old Testament idea, and it's basic to the Christian life. I can say, you know what? As weak as I am, as lost as I am, I've bowed my knee to Jesus, and I'm on his team, and therefore I will share in his victory. I'll share in his triumph. Is, is that where you are? What, can you say, you know what, I do recognize Jesus as someone who reigns over all. That he indeed is Lord over death. That he is Lord over the forces of darkness. And if that's the case, you can know that you share in that triumph. That you can walk your entire life without fear. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for the, the beauty, the beauty of the, the, uh, the way that your Son has come and you, in all your fullness, you inhabit him. You, you, we see who you are through him. 
And Father, we ask this morning that you indeed would grow us and make us more like Jesus. Father, remove our fleshly nature. Father, remove that which makes us hurt others so that we might be a source of life, a source of help, a source of strength. Father, I pray that we would no longer be afraid of, of, of the things that threaten us, that would, that would cause us to fear, and that we would lean fully on Jesus and his victory. So, Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother-